This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. In Enneagram literature, lust is the thing that comes up as the 8's greatest pitfall. Richard Rohr uses the term shamelessness, and at its worst, he says that it's the violation of another person for your personal pleasure or passion. It means exploiting another person and not respecting their dignity. And that we are typically inclined to excessive instinctual satisfaction without struggling under a whole lot of guilt about it. I don't think most of us would relate to the kind of shamelessness that is described here in its extreme form, but I'm pretty confident that all of you know what it's like to be excessive in going with what your gut wants. Excessive in acting on what your body is telling you it wants and needs and feeling pretty justified in going after that thing. Possibly not noticing the consequence that that has on the people around you. The very nature of a pitfall is that it's something that feels really, really good. Something you really don't want to do without. And yet, that very thing to excess is the thing that might destroy you. That's lust for me. I really don't want to let it go, but at the same time, it really doesn't want to let me go. Being able to benefit from that full body pleasure we get from even the smallest things, I think it can be a great thing. But like the small fire that we started last spring that kind of got out of hand and started to take over our forest, we have to be careful with that. An eight lust is a lot like a fire that we don't have a ton of control over. If we're not careful, it might burn us alive. Ooh, now we arrive oh, at lust. lust. Yes. And that's, ooh, that's a real thing. That is a real thing. The way I describe it is... Well, especially for you with being When a I'm in, person. I am all in. That's how I'd put it. How about you? Till I'm not. <laughs> that's actually fair. Yeah. That's an important addition. I am all in. When I'm in, I'm all in. But it's usually short and sweet. Unless there's something that's really pulling me. Yep. Yeah, I relate to that. Mm-hmm. So eights want to feel solid and alive, thus the traditional passion of the lust compels them to act in ways that stimulate feelings of aliveness, leading them to live intensely. Interactions with others must be intense, work must be intense, play must be intense, as if eights had to constantly push against life. I know you feel this big. Obviously. (laughs) The way I've always described it is that sexual eights and lust is like on steroids, and then you add eight with a seven wing and it's lust on steroids that are on steroids. (laughs) So it's just um, a kind of intensity that is all consuming on every level without breaks. And that's what freaks me out about it is uh, the not being able to put on the breaks. Uh, You're right. When it's over, it's over. And it has to do with losing interest. Yes. Um, Or maybe hopping onto a new thing or it just doesn't give you the energy it gave you there's something about that but when i'm in it i'm sorry the brakes got cut and i am going down a hill (laughs) really fast or whatever uh, and it's just all in they often talk about eights and addictions right do you feel like you could be prone to addictions in certain ways not in the traditional sense okay so explain that um so i (laughs) this is funny it's flirting with danger for sure but i've tested it out (laughs) Um, I can 
yeah, I can drink half a glass of wine and then I get bored of it. I can drink a glass of wine every night for a month and then just stop because I feel like it. The wine analogy is coming up for me too. Go ahead. I can binge exercise until it gets boring and then I stop. But relationally, and we did touch on this the last episode, I get lusty about relationships. So there's certain rare relationships that I get hooked on and they are the car without the brakes situation that I I don't know how to wean myself off of apart from just literally cutting myself off from them because it's an energy thing. But in terms of substances, no, not at all. I've never had a, a substance issue. Um, Can you see yourself having a substance no. issue? No. And in my family, two of us do and two don't. And of course, we've had to think about it because of my mom with her alcohol addiction. But I kind of do this uh, Lent kind of thing where I just cut it off cold turkey just to see. That's why I was laughing about the wine because man, during COVID this whole year, I think I've drank more wine in the year than I probably have in my entire life. Yeah, I often have a glass of wine and it has become two glasses of wine on a lot of nights throughout the last 12 months. My grandfather was an alcoholic. So I also do I also test it out all the time. I'll just decide one night, you know, what? I, I need to make sure. And so it's like no wine. Usually what ends up happening when I do that is I go three or four nights and I don't even know. Like, I'm just like, oh, oh, I haven't drank wine in three or four. I guess I'm good. <laughs> time to crack open the next bottle. <laughs> but I do. I test it out to make sure that I'm not going into that space that's not healthy. Right. Well, and you and I can't speak to drugs, right? We didn't dabble with it. But I have a gut warning in me that says that there's certain drugs that would be very dangerous for me to flirt with. Oh, when I had my C-sections, they gave me morphine. (laughs) So anything that makes me feel like that, and I would say it's like a something that makes you feel calm and cozy and and takes away the edge. And yeah, I'm not anxious. So there's nothing to dull. It's not an edge. It's the constant need to seek out moving forward. That's what it stops me from doing those kind of things. Like I've also had surgeries, so been Mm -hmm. on morphine. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Does it make you feel present or something? Yeah, it just makes me okay. I'm just okay. I don't need to think about what's coming up. I don't need to think about what's happened. I don't need to think about how I'm going to fix whatever problem or what friend who has the issue I'm going to hone in on and help with or right. All those things that kind of go in my head all day long. I just I love that my body felt all heavy. And I was like sinking into the sheets. And even when you get itchy, I'm like, Oh, it's a good itch. (laughs) Well, and it got to be a problem. I had five C-sections people, I should have an award or something. And I began to get excited for the next C-section because of the morphine. That's a problem. That is a problem. And so by extrapolation, I think I would be in a very dangerous spot on some of those drugs that do that. I just know it would become a major thing for me. Yeah, there's like a similar addiction I have um, to that a sensory deprivation thing that happens at the spa, you know, those uh, pools and just the feeling of heat and like in the hottest part of the spa, the saunas that are really, really jungle temperature kind of thing. Something about making me kind of sluggish and slow and all my muscles are relaxed. That's what I'm saying. I think because eights, we're constantly moving forward. And our muscles are ready and to we're pounce. We're ready all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. And we're not, we're never standing still. We're just constantly moving forward and we're pushing. So when you get into those moments, the push goes away and you stand still and you're just there. And we're never just there. I get really, really into those summer days where the temperature is the same outside as in your body and you can't feel the air. It's not heat. It's like um, a perfectly even temperature. It usually happens at night in the summer when the breeze has died down and it's just still. 
that feeling is very addictive to me too. And I think it's the same thing. It calms me down. Everything goes still. And yeah, I'm in perfect stasis. With food, it needs to be the, the deepest flavor. One of our eights on Instagram, she actually asked me, like, what do you drink? And I was like, the deepest, darkest, maltiest stouts, the driest, most intense red wine, scotch that burns all the way down your throat, and rich, dark coffee with nothing in it. And she was like, yeah, me too. I wonder if that's a thing. And I will not settle for a recipe that doesn't nail the depth of flavor. And then I will eat all of it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same. I will eat, and I'll all make of it. it again and again and again. Yes, like yeah. I will just continue to make the same thing. It's a, when I go to a restaurant and I find that one meal that I makes you want to keep coming over. back. Yeah. yeah, I just order it every time until I can't. Or like, and it'll probably go for about a year before mm -hmm. I get sick of it. I do relate to that. Yeah, I can't get enough once I've found it. And then same with music. We've talked a little about that. Where I don't go for lyrics. I go for the vibe, the way music makes me feel. And if, if I find a music that makes me feel something all over my body, not just physically, but it like resonates in a heart space and a head space and my body, then I will, I will play that thing to death. And it kind of becomes an anthem. <laughs> yep. Yeah. For sure. And I, and oh. I think when you're saying that, I totally understand because that is exactly what I do. Music is actually, I think, how I process my emotions. I need music to play to work through what I'm feeling. I don't know how to do that without something aiding me. Like, I knew that's what was happening today when I walked in. She had the music blaring. I'm like, okay, talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I have to, yeah. And and the hard part about that is music becomes, it becomes my scrapbook. So looking back, it's my, my photo album is actually just songs. And so my videography, I do a video every month for my family and I, I choose the piece of music that represented that time. Yeah, I do get that. Super important. Okay, the next part of the quote. Eights become trapped in a pattern of asserting their will against the environment, including other people, to gain the intensity that they crave. So I don't think I do this to get intensity. I definitely do this. I definitely assert my will against the environment, but it's usually because I see something better or I see something, a need that can't be met with the way they're doing it. So I'm going to push and push. I don't pull intensity out of people, I don't think. I, I try to go deep with people. If they don't want to go deep, then... That's fine. I don't even know I'm doing it. I have an example. Yeah, I'm essentially mining for intensity without knowing I'm doing it. And so I'm like roving around <laughs> in, in people's hearts trying to pull the depth out. And if they didn't ask me to do that, it can be almost traumatic for them. So I have a friend and her sister was going through something. And my impulse is usually, well, I want to help. Yep. And so I called her sister up and I said, hey, can I come for tea? And uh, I presented it that way as just coming for tea. <laughs> and I showed up and I just started asking the questions. And before I know it, she's talking very deeply and I don't know her very well. And I actually remember being surprised that this stuff was coming out of her and later found out that she felt like she didn't have a choice. Like it was coming out oh. of her and she didn't even give herself permission to do it. And I, I have that effect on people a lot where suddenly they're talking more deeply than they gave themselves permission to they feel safe to because I feel like people will do sometimes, that with me but it's just because they feel sometimes safe. and those people are but maybe I just haven't heard the other side <laughs> are Joe groupies <laughs> yes but there's a whole 
subset of people who actually, and, and it's probably for type reasons, so I think she's a two. Maybe she knew that's what I needed. Right. She sensed so in me that Joe needs need. depth. And so she did that thing where she didn't stop to ask herself what she needed, and suddenly she's giving me all that depth. But I, I hadn't earned it. It's not like I knew her very well, and so I didn't really, you know, it's not like we established a groundwork. And she had regret, and I found out from her sister, <laughs> essentially, you know what, I'd rather... I'd rather Joe not be the one to come help me next time. You know, let's find someone else to do that. You know, like she needed someone who'd just sit and let her come to them instead of someone coming to her. And you know what that's happened? I've heard reports back a few times, enough to know that I know that it is a real thing sometimes. That weird intensity mining thing I do is not actually welcome. But I don't know how not to. Right. And so I'm not going to say it's going to get better. I like also I, wonder, too, though, if sometimes that isn't helpful. So maybe she doesn't want to do that again with you, but maybe you provoked a whole lot of thought right. into action for yeah. her, right? Yeah, and that I'll never know. Like, <laughs> I may never know yeah. <laughs> the effect I've had on someone. But I am grateful I did hear back those few times to realize that that's a whole other dynamic that I'm not even aware of because in the moment, I couldn't tell she was uncomfortable. Right. I couldn't tell. Right. She was talking. And we go and, forward, right? And no one can force me to talk. Thing. Well, it's not like you're pausing to say, are you okay with this? Or do you want to tell me yeah, this? I right? We would never do that, me because, to do that. But it's like you said, we would never say the things we don't want to say. That is actually not true because... I can think of times where I feel that way too, where someone's put me in a position where I've said something and it's usually something that's not true. You say something not true? I say something true? that's not true to make them feel comfortable. And then I leave and think, I don't even think that. And then I'm angry at myself for not taking the time to think that through and being more focused on trying to make them comfortable. I don't do, do that. Do you do that? If there's a choice between saying something untrue and not saying anything, I'll do neither of those. I'll make a joke. <laughs> So I will do that. I will make a joke to distract from the fact that I'm not going to lie, but I'm certainly not going to say what they want me to say. I, I can I can say what they want me to say sometimes, but I can spin it in a way that I think it's true. And then I leave and I give more thought and realize I don't think that at all. It's that... Well, we don't like silence. That's true. No. We don't like silence. That's for sure. Ultimately, the more they push, the less real sense of being they have. They and others become ciphers, objects in the environment to be manipulated. The result is actually an inner deadening that then tempts them to make even greater exertions to overcome it. Intensity only begets the need for more intensity. Okay, so I just changed the wording a little bit. I like your wording better. Yeah, so the way I'd word it is that people become wells that I'm trying to drill down deeper into. And in the past, I didn't accept the depth that they were offering. And so... I just went to work to get deeper. But now I observe the depth that they have on offer and I just lose interest if there isn't much of it. And I just will not choose to spend a ton of time with them if they aren't willing to go deeper because that's boring. For me, it's all energy. If you give me energy, we don't have to go deep, but if you give me energy, if you meet my energy level to do something else, like we could go and do things but not be deep, I can cool with that. I know that that's true in you. That's not super true for me. To an extent it is. I can't be super close with you. It's not someone I'm going to yeah. repeatedly seek out. It's not someone I'm going to feel safe. You're right. I can have fun with people if they give me energy. So if they meet my intensity level or they're willing to go do fun things or I I'm good with that. I don't have to go deep. But right, I, it right. only lasts for so long. Like I can't, I can't keep spending my time with someone that I can't invest in deeply. Yep. A lack of intensity can totally be substituted temporarily for just a lot of fun. <laughs> 
our seven our seven in us is like and that works. I would also say I do have some people that I feel deeply for and I feel very safe being very raw with that we do not go deep, but they are tangibly safe people for me. They're surface level friends, but the safety level with them is so much deeper that I can pick up and say, Hey, you wanna we you know we do this with one set of friends, do you guys wanna get drinks? And do I they feel, qualify as people that can contain you? Like they can accept all of you. Yes. And that's okay. Yes. But I don't know that we would ever go super deep. But I know I'm safe there. Mm-hmm. Just intuitively. Yeah, I have those people too. Our eight drive is almost like I compare it to fire where it's literally consuming and this can be anything from for example this morning I found my new favorite song and I will listen to that song 87 times in a row without stopping until I can absorb it into my soul (laughs) a quote that I sort of throw around often is that I want to suck the life out of life We don't want to leave stones unturned. And when we find something good, we have to almost devour all of it and evaporate it so that we can have all of it. Wanting to be all consumed and wanting 100% of whatever that new thing is. I don't know. I mean, we talk a lot about every emotion that we feel being a full body sensation. We feel it in every cell of our body. We become passionate about something or when we find something new that catches our attention, we want to be all consumed by it, whether it is emotion, relationships, like that sense of wanting something that gets us fired up, something that makes us feel full and alive and it puts a fire under our ass. There's never anything that I ever do halfway or get halfway involved in or halfway interested in. One of you wrote, okay, lust. I lust for novelty and interesting things. I don't necessarily go searching for them, but once I discover the thing, whatever it is, I will want more of it. But most often this gets me into trouble with people. I love talking to strangers. I will derail my day and a stranger's day for an interesting conversation. And there are a few people in my life who I enjoy so much and find so interesting that I will accidentally just spend 24 hours straight talking to them. My husband knows if we get together, the chance of me coming back on time is next to zero. I just can't do it. I have a really hard time stopping myself when it comes to certain treats, like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. One time I ate two whole sleeves of Thin Mints in one sitting. And then I also crave excitement. I love getting excited about things, but it's complicated because I also don't like to get my hopes up too high because I don't want them to be crushed. They burn through passions. And if you think about what that literally looks like, the nature of how fire consumes things, if I really get into something, I find something new that I have an interest in and I have to burn it up, burn it all the way through until it's gone. And then I go get the next thing. Expressing ourselves physically is a huge thing. How many pull-ups can I do? How many push-ups can I do? How fast can I run a mile? How fast can I run a marathon? Things that other people feel like they can't touch or they're a little bit afraid of or they're intimidated by, those are the things that we want to jump in to feet or head first. Uh, The quote continues, There's also something of the daredevil in the average eight. Eights get hooked on the intensity and the adrenaline rush of taking on a challenge and beating the odds. 
This can be exciting, but over time, it can also be exhausting and eventually wears down their health. I don't know that I do hooked on intensity and adrenaline. I just want things that give me energy. And maybe that's what those are in a different word. And I don't listen to my body saying, slow the hell down. I just keep going. So I've observed that that kind of lust that they're talking about kicks in the more hurt I am. So if I'm in a season of a lot of hurt, then I become quite uh, lusty for a very physical experience. And it is a way of distracting. I would agree with you. Absolutely. If I'm feeling a prolonged sense of stress, I'm going to be like, fuck the world, put my earphones in. That's when I start designing full body tattoos. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't don't do that. I'm like, how far can I run today? That's when I start lifting heavier weights. (laughs) Yeah, the way I'd put it is like the more alienated I feel from people, then the more I fortify my body. Oh, that's interesting. Instead. I don't have that at all. Yeah. And I set my own physical challenges. So when I was younger, when I felt alienated from my peers... I threw up. Right? You can go there, girl. A little terrified to do that. You know how many of them are probably going to relate? This is scary to say out loud. (laughs) Um, When I felt like I had no control, I threw up. And it was years and years of, of an eating disorder that I truly believe was mostly about control. Mm -hmm. That's what they say it is. Almost always is about control. You don't want to go further with that. Well, okay. We won't go there until you're ready to go there. Well, I'll think about it. I've thought that much. I'll think about about it a little more. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that I set my own physical challenges and push them to the limit. So when I was struggling most with the new COVID world, is when I set out to run 20K. Can't think of anything. Never in my life has it been a goal of mine to run 20K. And like I've said before, I'm not a natural runner. It really hurts for me to run. My lungs must be half the size of other people because it, it's like I, I really struggle. Anyway, but I just gritted it out and I did it. And every day I upped another few kilometers like and then I was like, done. <laughs> <laughs> done. That's over. Yeah, but it had a, a lot to do with the feeling of the ache and the pain and the grit. Right. Um, and not at all for some comparison to how far someone else went. And so there was this obsessive need to feel the the pain of it. So do you think that when you set that goal and you get there, you think the way I feel, the uncomfortable feeling I have in my body, it will end once I hit this goal? No, not at all. The pain itself is the pleasure. Yeah. So then I just move on to another another thing. But why would you make it 30 kilometers? um, Because it was boring. Okay. It just always (laughs) has to do with getting bored. Yeah, I'd be bored after five, but... Yeah. And, well, here's the thing. Do you know how I got to 20 without getting bored? I had my family drop me off at different parts of the city so I could run there. I never ran in the same spot twice. They would drive me 20K in some other direction, and then I'd run home. So the way I do my goals is I do the same place all the time so that I can beat myself every single time. Yeah, I think that's more common. I think When I'm, I used to I'm run, we lived on like a, a block. <laughs> you could run in a circle. And each circle was like 1K. And so I would be able to time myself how fast and then if my, you know, kilometers per minute were going better or whatever. Yeah. Like, so funny. When you mentioned um, bulimia, let's just call it what it is. Uh, when I was a teenager at the height of my angst as a teen, I started running at night. Um, so I'd run in the dark and provoking danger. danger. Yep. And I ran farther and farther and farther, and I got really, really, really thin. But it had to do with, yeah, this wild flirting with danger and um, 
none of my other classmates were running in the dark. Well, you always <laughs> have had this, like, come get me. I yeah. dare you. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like if school was an alien landscape that I didn't fit in, then I was going to... Make your own Yeah, make my own landscape to fit into. And that happened to look like hitting the pavement, even when it was raining in the dark at night, further and further and further. And it's weird. Remember those days when we were children and you were allowed to leave at night? (laughs) My mom was an eight, remember? She gave me a lot of leeway. And then, of course, yeah, after my mom died, I, I hit the gym and was kind of gone. I was lost there. I was like a flurry of aggression at the gym and I'm grateful I had it. But yeah, again, so that's lust kicking into a point where I can definitely discern a kind of manic energy, like a a really unmoored kind of energy going on. Yeah. But it helped me survive. And so I can't hate it. I can't hate it. I can feel on the brink of danger sometimes with it. And yet I know it also saves me. So I don't know what to think of it. I think the awareness of knowing when you're on the brink of danger, right? It's the awareness of, yeah, we we need to not drink anymore. We need to not go have any more C-sections. <laughs> right? Like being that awareness piece is so important. Mm-hmm. So important. Because at that point, it becomes a choice. Yeah. Right? Yep. I'm choosing to go further into the danger or I'm choosing to say this is not healthy any- mm-hmm. anymore because mm-hmm. there is a point where you're right. And I think I think there is a point of health where we can use it as health. Do you find that the converse is true where when we're doing well, we let go of a lot of that? Absolutely. Right. So there's a correlation between being <laughs> being really secure and well and getting fat. <laughs> Okay, so we're not going to call it fat, though. We're going to say putting on weight and being okay Let's with it. Let's say getting softer, both literally and figuratively. There you go. That'll win. That wins. There is something to be said about being just okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if my health deteriorating has helped that or what, but I've fought hating my body my whole life. My whole life. Just in the last probably two years, I have decided, and and I'm going to say decided because it's a conscious choice I had to make at the beginning, to just like who I am the way I am. Stop fighting it. Stop thinking about the next diet. Stop thinking about the next exercise program that needs to happen. Stop thinking about the weight I want to be. Stop holding on to the pants I'm never going to fit into again. And just be okay. And start respecting my body and listening to it. When I'm hungry, I am eat. And when I'm not hungry, I don't eat. And not worrying about what I'm consuming and how much I'm consuming and, and just this culture. And now that I'm on the outside of that, and and I say that really loosely, guys, like that's ridiculous to say it doesn't bother me anymore. But I would say on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't bother me. The more I have let go and just stopped focusing on all that stuff, the more freeing it's been for me. I finally feel happy and comfortable in my own skin. It's actually really enlightening to look around you because very, very few people live like that. And it's really sad. And what really crushed me was the day that my daughter came home from school and she had five or six boys in her math class and one girl, because right now they're only going to school half time. I said, how was your class today with the boys? And she's like, it was awesome. They all eat. So I didn't feel any shame eating my lunch. That makes me sad. I actually said to her, I'm like, is it not so disturbing to you that that's your first thought? Ugh. Anyways, killed me. I've just been so much more aware. So now we're off topic again, but. Oh, it's fine. I would just add that for me, the physicality is like breathing. You know that. I, oh, yeah. I don't think I'll ever not do it. It's not conscious. I just must. But 
the correlation I see is that I ramp it up when I'm hurting. When I'm doing well, what happens is I just kind of lose interest in the ramped up version of it. And I, I, I have space to look sideways and focus on humans instead, other people. And then I lose my muscle and get a little softer. And when that and happens... And then something else happens and you f- and get then I ramp back it up, up again. And, exactly, yeah. exactly. But it's either true. way, it's, there's does seem to be a correlation with my literal body's softness, like the softer contours With and how inside. well I'm doing. Well, it's softer on the inside, yeah. softer on the and outside. And it might not be yeah. true of everyone because I know there's people who are fit physically and mentally, but for me, there is a, a correlation that I can't ignore. So I just have to name it, right? So Rizzo also says, prevailing becomes an addiction for AIDS. The more often the win... They win, the more this builds up a false sense of invulnerability that can lead them to make tragic miscalculations. I think we do this a lot. Do you? I I don't feel like the the win piece. Nope. It's not win. Nope. Prevailing becomes an addiction for me. Push through. Yes. Pushing through. Yes. Winning, no. I once had a three friend who uh, felt a kind of solidarity with me. He recognized my eightness and his threeness as having a thing that was in common. And he said, oh, like you and I, eh? we have to win. And I was like, no, that doesn't sit right with me. I just need to prove I can be as good as you. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even how I'd put it. That's the way I no. feel. So what I would say is the glory of it is grappling with someone who is my equal. So if I am having a sparring match with somebody who is much weaker than me, I might as well. I am so bored. I hate it. It feels, it's terrible. And then nothing makes me more ragey than being punched in the face repeatedly by someone whose arm length outcompetes mine and I don't stand a chance. So there's this funny story. My cousin used to box with me at the gym all the time. And so we decided to take it home with us. And he's six feet tall. He's got inches on me with his arms. And in my inflated sense of like strength, I was like, let's spar. Yeah. And my husband husband's going to record it and it's going to be awesome. I can't tell you how many times I got punched in and I got more and more angry. And so let's just say that's not a thing I like to do. I don't, I don't like to be the underdog where I don't stand a chance. It's so funny because I always pick the people who are so much more ahead of me or faster or stronger. And then I'm like, I'm going to keep up to you. When we go mountain biking, I am pathetic. Like I am the worst biker there is out there but I do it because my family is there and I don't want to be left behind I'm terrible but one of our good friends is an excellent mountain biker and I actually really love when he's in front of me because I watch what he's doing I check how he's doing it and that's what I I always push myself if someone's ahead of me but he never leaves you in the dust he's just slightly ahead of you No, he would never leave me do you see like there's a big difference I don't want to be left in the dust very big difference although I'm often left in the dust now because I've given up on my desire to actually gain skill in mountain biking so my husband is so lovely and he rides behind me and we have like really lovely conversations while the rest of our children are way up there with all the other adults (laughs) and we like talk about life and while we're driving through the forest because I've given up I know that I'm not going to be ever get to the point where I can be a challenge or challenge anyone else on a mountain bike so I just gave up and now I enjoy it do you know that's a really that's something we have to learn because old age is coming for all of us and I think eights are going to deal with a particularly brutal fall from so you say this and I ski glory (laughs) and my health isn't 100% so I'm not where I was five years ago or 10 years ago on my skis And I struggle with that big time. Like I want to keep up with the other people out there who are excellent skiers. And 
I am determined that I'm going to. I'm going to get stronger. And by next year, I'm telling you, I am going to be back to skiing well. That is my, that's my goal. And I don't want to lose my muscle mass. And so I'm weightlifting. Because I've heard if you start before you enter into your 40s, then you can hang on to it. But if you wait, yeah, you'll be out of luck. So yeah, so the, the gist of it is I don't need to win. I just need to know that it was a worthy fight. And, that so, and I don't to need to that. know that it's a worthy fight. I need to know that I am capable. There you go. Slightly different wording, but. Okay, Rizzo says they tend to overwork or overdo living on adrenaline and stress and are unwilling to take steps to manage their stress until they're forced by their deteriorating health. That's not me. I just want because, to pull the blanket over my <laughs> yeah, head right now. I know, that's Aaron. No, just quickly, because this is Aaron's show for sure, <laughs> this particular quote. But having a self-prez second for me means that I have like a really natural ability to stop when I need to stop. I, I'm really aware of my limit and I just don't cross it and I don't apologize. I'm super aware of my limit. But you I just ignore through. it. Yeah, for me, I know it's safe to stop. It's safer to stop. And I'm not going to push myself over into something that could take me out of commission long term. I'm not doing it. So here you go, Eights. I'm going to plug something for you. Read the book, Burnout. The book Burnout, it's written by two sisters. There's some some stuff in it that, you know, like anything, take and leave. But for social eights or any eights that have self-pres last, burnout is an excellent resource. And one of the things they talk about in it is completing the stress cycle. When I'm reading that now, I'm looking back and realizing that I did not complete the stress cycle in my body a lot. When I feel lots of stress, I'll keep myself busy, but I don't necessarily deal with that stress. And you don't need to always solve the problem, but you do need to run or weight lift or box or cry because those things, physical exertion or crying, releases the stress from your body. And we all know that. We all know what that feels like. When you have a really big cry, then the lightheartedness that comes back into your body, that the heaviness is now gone, that happens when we cry. Did you feel you had a light bulb moment when you read this? Absolutely. So this is the difference between you and me, because when you told me, I'm like, duh. Like, yeah, yeah. I know that. I do it automatically. self-pres self yes. goes and does it. Whereas <laughs> I'm like, oh, actually, someone else needs me more. That's right. right. It's more important for me to put dinner on the table, get that job done, get this ready, meet that friend for coffee who needs to talk. Like all, everything came first before me. And that's why I'm saying self-help, it's a real thing for some of us. And for those who know how to intuitively do it, it's ridiculous. For those of us who don't know what that means, you need limits. It's life yeah. saving. So go get the book. I'm serious. It's, a, it's worth reading. Or just take what I just gave you right now and start completing the stress cycle. <laughs> I need to go for a run later. Remind me. <laughs> so Rizzo also says, last thing he says about lust is ironically, eights want to feel that they are in control of their situation. Being in the grip of lust is the antithesis of control. Lust is a reaction to something outside of the self that inspires it. Lust ultimately brings the opposite of what the type truly wants. I mean, that's truth. <laughs> that, that is truth on so many levels. In its worst form, it's true. It is true. Because I'm controlled, like I said, I, I lose my brake pedal. Yeah, I agree with that. I both hate that feeling and love that feeling. <laughs> that's, what's, that's the problem. I do get that. I love that yeah. feeling. I can't think of any, anything better than being completely lost in the spin of intensity and all of that. And at the same time, I'm pretty in awe of the fact that I'm still alive. <laughs> Both things are true all at the same time. 
as a shadow layer, what parts do we keep? What parts do we get rid of? I don't want to get rid of any of it. <laughs> I know. Uh, this one I don't want to so get rid of. So I think the less part here is when the less stops working for you and it starts harming you. Right. And that's what it is for me, right? Like when all the things that I kind of like keep me running to them that I use to feed my soul and lust after stop me from being happy and healthy and productive in my family and my for myself. My health is deteriorated because I lusted after all the other things that kept me fulfilled and never went for the thing that my body needed which was to take care of it. Yeah, when lust becomes a, a set of blinders to the world around you, it's a real problem because there's a bunch of people you're leaving behind. It's really fun. As you're reveling. Of time. Yes, <laughs> I know. But then you gotta... Yeah. Can we just right. have a timer? Just put our yeah. lust on a timer. Can you just let us have a little bit and then... That's how we can keep it enough. healthy, folks. <laughs> Half an hour of utter reveling. <laughs> and then the timer goes off. Back to reality. I think like everything, it goes back to awareness. We need to be aware of when we're healthy and when we're not. And when we see ourselves start to make that slide, it's the making the choice to say, this is not healthy for me anymore. I will even say that there are times I can't see myself in it because I'm in it. And so we need to give permission to a few key people to tap us on the shoulder and say, come back, come back. And my husband saved me a few times where he just said, you're missing. Like, where are you? You're not So I here. actually think that I'm usually aware of it but I'm not aware it's affecting anyone else until they say it. That is accurate. I would agree. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. <laughs> <laughs>